you just watching episode 52, War Room. Welcome to the podcast that shares critical thinking for the entertained Christian. I'm Eve Franklin. I'm Tim Martin. And uh, we, after a little bit of a unexpected hiatus, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're we're actually going to revisit War Room because we've been requested on Facebook that we not skip the movie. So it's been a month and over a month since either of us have seen it. Yeah, it, it's uh, <clears throat> it when I sat down to uh, to finish typing out my notes today, I realized how long it had been. And uh, before we start, I want to apologize to our listeners because this is my fault. Um, the uh, the delay uh, was a result of a family emergency on my part that required me to drive from Virginia to Maine and spend a week in Maine. And in Maine, I managed to contract pneumonia. <laughs> which has had me uh, unable to do any recording for the last three weeks. Uh, You may be able to hear that my voice is still uh, on the process to recovery, but it sounds so much better. Yeah. Yeah. I I just spoke with you just a few days ago via Skype and you were barely... Yeah, <laughs> in voice then. So it was. Uh, it, it's been an interesting month, and uh, I, I'm glad to be getting back to War Room because I, when when I saw it, I was really looking forward to uh, to, to doing this episode. So I'm glad we're finally getting to it. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a little different than what we usually do on Are You Just Watching for a number of reasons, but we'll get to that. Yes. Yes. There's one big housekeeping issue that we need to discuss before we get into talking about the movie. And it's something that neither Tim and I really want to talk about. But no, it's never, never fun. Never fun. Um, we've kind of hit a wall with Are You Just Watching in that this this um, podcast doesn't pay for itself. Uh, we have fees having to do with the maintenance of the website and our participation on the hosting of our website on the Noodle Mix Network. And... Unfortunately, this podcast is kind of a cancer uh, on the on the noodle mix. I don't know that cancer is the right word, but I was thinking that. Yeah, um, it, it it's a little bit of a, a parasite. <laughs> symbiotic relationship. A symbiotic relationship. Yes, we don't pay our way, and that means that the other more successful uh, uh, websites are basically carrying us right now. Right, and we we have to keep in mind that. Noodle MX is uh, it, not only is it Daniel's baby, but uh, it's his uh, his uh, income. His income, yes, exactly. Thank you very much. <laughs> so uh, it's you know we have a we have a responsibility as producers of uh, Are You Just Watching to pay our way, <laughs> pay our way exactly. Yeah, contribute to something. So with that in mind, we have. Uh, formed a Patreon campaign. And for those who are not familiar with Patreon, it's, it seems to be a fairly simple uh, setup in which you pledge money towards uh, various things. In our case, it's a podcast. And and that money is taken out of off of a credit card or a, however you sign up for the service on a monthly basis. And there's a fee that's taken out of that that pays Patreon and the rest of it comes to us. And it's monthly support until you shut it off. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's it, it's a way for you to give a little or a lot. And we are we've set up three basic levels of of reward for for supporting us. They're very they're not very much right now. And if in the future, if we see significant income coming in where we can purchase real 
rewards and, and, you know, pass on real prizes to people. Um, that's definitely an option in the future. That but would be right, great to get <laughs> yeah. to. Um, but right now what we're just looking for is basic subsistence. Um, just $40 a month. That's all we need to cover our costs. And that's not much. We have over 200 uh, downloads of each of our episodes, um, usually right after we upload. So that means we have at least 200 subscribers. If everybody gave $1 a month, that would put us at 200. So we don't even need everybody to give a dollar. But, you know, don't hold back. No, but don't hold back. Exactly. Exactly. The issue that Tim and I have had is uh, Tim joined this podcast in January of this year, and we have other than September. That long ago? Yeah, we haven't missed Wow. We haven't missed a single episode except for September. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's okay. The issue is is that we have gotten very little feedback since he joined the the podcast and this is some way to help us know that you guys are out there that you're listening. Um, that you support what we do, that you want to hear more. Because if we don't see any support on Patreon, Tim and I are going to probably have to make the decision to retire the podcast. Yeah. And we like doing it. Oh, we love doing it. Yeah. There's a lot of time that goes into uh, all the preparation and the note taking and writing out the show notes and everything. And uh, we really need the feedback to... uh, to edify the podcast right it's just a a way of showing that you support us and like i said you don't even have to give a lot if if just 40 of you gave a dollar a month we could cover our costs and right now that's really all we want we just tim and i are not taking any money out of this that we both have full-time jobs Mm -hmm. um we both um do this because we love the lord and we love movies and we want to share that love with listeners that are hopefully interested in what we have to say amen this this is the, the way you can show us that you're interested in what we have to say so we don't want to belabor this point, but at the same time, it is important. Critically important. Critically important. So um, we'll have the link to the Patreon campaign in the show notes. We'll also have it on Facebook um, at our Facebook uh, page there. At Are you just watching uh, where, you know, we have actually had some pretty good interaction uh, on occasion with our listeners. So it's it's nice to see you, you guys popping up on Facebook. <laughs> um. But that uncomfortable subject aside, let's talk about War Room. <laughs> Yay! Now, I, as I always do when we talk about movies, I always talk about the the soundtrack. And this is interestingly enough because it's actually one of the problems that I have with most Christian movies is they typically don't have the best scores. Sometimes they their soundtracks are just Christian music and they don't really put a lot of effort into scores. I think this movie actually did a pretty good job with the score. It's by Paul Mills. Um, Most of it's pretty quiet. There's some upbeat bits in it. And it fits the mood of the movie. And interestingly enough, it is one of the things that that makes this movie feel more polished than the average Christian movie. I agree.
Yeah, it's uh, it actually has uh, a couple of my favorite performance artists in there, mm-hmm. uh, which I, I guess made me a little bit biased. Uh, I'm a huge Toby Mac fan. Uh, my entire family is. And Stevis Curtis Chapman is somebody I've been listening to since, uh, you know, I can remember. Mm-hmm. Which means he's old now. That's sort of scary. Um, and there's some great new, uh, artists that are new to me on there too. Yeah, and I thought I thought the quality was really uh, not only was the quality of the of the music good, but it was appropriate. Mm-hmm. And even even that even then the instrumental stuff that uh, there's this one big speech that Clara gives, mm-hmm. and uh, the instrumental music that's that's behind the speech was so well done as far as volume and mm-hmm. and pacing and and uh, beat and everything. Right. And and see that's why I think that this movie bears fresh polish on it than even like Courageous or Fireproof um two other Kendrick movies that are that were, you know, came before this one Kendrick brother movies. The one thing I really noticed missing in Fireproof was a good score because there was scenes where there were these conversations going on between characters and it just felt empty because there was no music playing, there was no nothing setting mood. Like the setting sounds just, you know, like if they were outside the sounds of being outside were missing as well. So I think that the Kendrick brothers have, are learning as they go. And this movie, I think, represents uh, the culmination of what they've learned as filmmakers because it has the score. It has the environment. It has um, that underlying polish that if it's missing, you don't really know what's missing. But when it's there, it clicks and it works. Yep. And uh, just to give a, a sneak preview of the end of the podcast. Not everybody <laughs> feels that way. No, no. Um, in fact, the the reason why um, it's kind of strange for us to be covering this movie is, I, I think if you look back through the archives of Are You Just Watching, we have never talked about a Christian movie before. <laughs> and it's weird because, you know, we're a Christian podcast, but really what we're about is showing how the Christian worldview applies to secular entertainment, because as Christians in a in this culture, we typically, uh, 90% of what we see or read is not Christian. Right. And so the purpose of this podcast has always been, how do we apply a Christian worldview to what we're watching and not just sit back and absorb the the themes and the memes of the world without any kind of critical thought? So anyway, we don't have to be quite so critical with this movie because it's starting from a worldview that we agree with and I would say enthusiastically agree with. Mm-hmm. Right? Oh, uh, <laughs> uh, Yeah. <laughs> Now, now that that's not to say that I didn't have some artistic commentary or criticism, um, but uh, the uh, the message uh, is <laughs> right in our wheelhouse, <laughs> right? But uh, we can get to the artistic stuff as we talk about the movie. Basically, of course, the premise of this movie is about fighting your battles with prayer. And I think that as Christians, it's kind of a no-brainer, but at the same time, it's something we all need to do. Yeah, I was going to say it's a (laughs) no-brainer intellectually, but it's a very difficult thing to keep in practice. Right. And uh, I I am probably the worst among them. The, The thing I thought was interesting about a lot of the scenes in this movie between husband and wife, um, and 
I as a lot of Kendrick movies are there there is a lot about marriage in this this movie that uh, since I'm not married it kind of you know breezes past me it's important <laughs> but it's not something I dwell on um but I thought that the it was very interesting how they dealt with the role of women in this movie because they're all very strong female characters in a Christian way and I know that uh, you know the secular world out there just does not get that at all whatsoever. I mean, it it doesn't make sense to them that their view of what a strong woman is is somebody who um, stands up for herself, doesn't take any flack. She's she represents what um, Rebecca is at the beginning of this movie, where she's starting fights with her husband every day, probably several times a day, and she's not winning any of them. Yeah, but uh, there's no winner. There's no winner. Yeah. Um, it, their marriage is losing. And and that's the kind of woman the world tells us to be. And I think that's very good that they, they present that contrast at the beginning of the movie so that we can see how a properly submissive Christian woman. And we're not talking about a woman who does not stand up for herself, who doesn't believe in herself, who does not have an, an identity and in Christ and all of that. She is a better person because she's able to back off of the battles and let God fight for her. Yep. Yeah, I I felt that uh, the whole idea of submission was an important theme in the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, not only <clears throat> submitting yourself to God through prayer, but also being submissive in your role in the relationship, not just mm-hmm. wife to the husband, but also husband to the wife mm-hmm. and being submissive. Uh, in your role as a parent, mm-hmm. which is also very difficult to do. And, and uh, I think War Room presented that uh, even in the small way that they did. I think they presented it very well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's interesting that they were evil, even able to do that a bit using humor, because one of my favorite lines that I wrote down when I was taking notes was submission is knowing when to duck so God can hit your husband. <laughs> yeah, I got that one right. Uh, yeah, I thought that was really funny. And it's it's true because it, it's learning to be submissive so that God can deal with your husband. And, and that goes both ways, to be honest. I mean, if you're uh, and like I said, I have no experience with marriage. You do. So, I mean, you, you can be a little bit more forthcoming than I am in this. But it it would go both ways because yep. sometimes God has to deal with the woman. So I imagine, you know, there's times when the guy has to get out of the way too. Yeah, this is actually something that uh, is very difficult for Christians to talk about in the world now mm-hmm. because our role as husbands and wives uh, in an evangelical sense is uh, very contrary mm-hmm. to what the world wants it to be. Not what the only, world is telling us to be. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, recently they've become more and more insistent in their uh, definitions, their redefinitions of husband and wife and marriage. So when my wife and I have a what we consider to be a biblical traditional relationship where I'm the head of the household and she's the one that, you know, is actually in charge. Um, (laughs) We get, uh, if it's in a secular environment, uh, we get sort of dirty looks. Mm -hmm. Um, Even from our friends, it's like, uh, you know, even though both of us work and, uh, um, we're, you know, we're, we're equal members, but 
I have the the role of the spiritual head of the household, and you know the, I wear the metaphorical pants in the family, and uh, my wife fills uh, many of the the roles that are uh, more traditionally the woman of the house, mm-hmm. and uh, the world uh, does not like that breakdown yeah yeah and uh it even though we find it to work very well right they think it demeans the woman and i don't think it demeans the woman in fact i think the feminist the feminist movement has done more to demean women in our culture than christianity ever has because we've become sex symbols in which we're only known for our bodies. And those of us who can't maintain those perfect bodies feel mm-hmm. horrible depression and, and horrible um, self-images because the world tells us we're supposed to be the femme fatale. Yeah. And um, the vast majority of women cannot hold that position. They can't be that. And they shouldn't be. God doesn't tell us to be that way. And... And then we're supposed to be domineering and we're supposed to be um, in control. And God didn't make us to be that way. And I'm not saying that our opinions don't matter. And in any relationship where the woman's opinion is treated like it doesn't matter, that there is an issue there that needs to be dealt with. But at the same time, in any, any situation, there has to be somebody who makes the final decision. Otherwise, decisions don't get made. Sure. Uh, it's, I, there's uh, not only is there the whole attitude of uh, of unisex roles in in uh, women versus men, but uh, there's also the idea that women should be just as good as men mm-hmm. in every feature and function. Mm-hmm. And I just uh, personally, I don't think that's the case. Just as I don't think men are just as good as women in every feature and function. I believe that God made man and woman separately for uh, unique roles. Exactly. Unique right. roles is an excellent way to put it. And I don't think that uh, if we follow in the steps of modern uh, feminism or uh, liberalism, I don't think those roles are fulfilled properly. And I I definitely don't think that they glorify God. No. Well, yeah, definitely not because they glorify the individual, not God. Um, that That's the whole point of, of living without God is man-centered, self-centered uh, mm-hmm. living. And that just, you know... And I know we haven't really brought any scripture into this because, you know, if you want to see this, the way it's lived out scripturally, go watch War Room because that's how, you know, obviously it's a fictional story. So they make it come out right in the end and and it's all uh, peaches and cream and happy, but it it shows how it can work properly. And I think it it's a good example of of a relationship working that wasn't working because yeah. we, we see the change. We see how it changes. I think my, my favorite scene in the movie is uh, after, um, after he comes home and says that he lost his job and instead of starting a fight, she just accepts it. And then later he comes back and tells her, you know, I, I don't, I couldn't start a fight because you know, you, you didn't, you didn't accuse me. I was all ready to be, to be attacked and you didn't attack. And then I couldn't defend myself. Yeah, he actually says, uh, why would you do that when you see the type of man I become? 
And that's a line that really hit home for me Mm -hmm. because it's the same thing with with, uh, Christ as our Savior. Mm -hmm. Every day we we realize how much we're in need of that unconditional love. And and that's the goal that we try to strive for is perfect Christ-like unconditional love. And, you know, and it's just like in her situation where she doesn't attack him, God doesn't attack us. He lets us make lots of mistakes. and <laughs> Some more than others. We have to come on our knees and accept that we did something wrong. And, and, and he's not going to beg for us to do that. He's not going to fight us to a standstill, fight us to our knees. He doesn't do that. He wants us to come to him. And, and so I think that even, even in her submission, she's showing how she's opening the door for him to approach her for forgiveness as he needs to approach God for forgiveness. It's an amazing movie because it shows how that relationship can be mended and how that works in real life. And it's nice that they, uh, that it does get mended properly because, you know, so many of the movies that we see nowadays, so many of the movies uh, coming out of Hollywood, um, uh, they give up on the relationship or mm-hmm. uh, they get back together, but they never really address the problem. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I liked about this movie uh, was that uh, even though it came out well in the end, everything perfect. Exactly. <laughs> uh, one of the things that I really liked about this movie, and it's a small thing, but it made a big impact for me, was... Um, Tony does not get his job back in your standard Hollywood movie uh, after he made restitution and, you know, went and helped Tom change his car tire. uh, They would have come back and said, you know what? Let's let bygones be bygones. You only owe us $19,000. Why don't you come back to the company and you can work it off? Right. Right. And that that didn't happen here. And no. there 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 were consequences for his sin. Right. And I think it's important mm-hmm. that they put that in and I really appreciate that they included that. And I also thought it was interesting that he found a new job that didn't pay as much but fulfilled him better. Yeah. Because I think that in some instances And you have to speak to this as being a man, but I think sometimes we as people become so focused on obtaining success that we often miss um, the maybe less successful things we could be doing that would be more fulfilling to us as people. Yeah. And I think that's probably more inherent in the workspace uh, in the American culture Mm -hmm. than it is in many places. And uh uh, just as applicable to uh, working women as working men, mm-hmm. uh, though I I suspect that uh, I, I don't know I, I can't speak from the woman's point of view, but uh, <laughs> right, not even if I raise my voice. <laughs> but uh, there's always a sense of competition, mm-hmm. and you know, at at my work, I'm I'm a member of uh, a team of network engineers, and. I'm not in competition with any of them, mm-hmm. but I'll catch myself thinking like I am. Right. And uh, that's detrimental. It, it, it's it's sinful and uh, can end up hurting, you know, both my career and uh, the company I'm working for. Right. And that's interesting because I, I'm doing a Bible study that's based on War Room right now. And one of the first things they dealt with in our first session 
or was it our second session? I can't remember, was being a body of believers and being accountable to each other. And I think that as, as Christians, it's something we continually have to remind ourselves because we're all still sinful, fallen people. Yeah. Um, but it, it's that whole concept of uh, the diversity of gifts, the talents and, and pooling all of that together and, and working together and, and being part of the body of Christ. And I think that that kind of competitiveness where we're striving for personal success and we're striving for money or whatever takes us outside of the mindset of being a member of the body. Yeah. And, and we lose that accountability to each other, um, which allows us to walk in step arm in arm against the enemy, which in this case is the world, but it's also the prince of this world who is Satan. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's one of the interesting things they keep bringing out in this movie, and they did it more than once, was that you're fighting the wrong enemy. Because when you're fighting your husband or you're fighting your boss or you're fighting um, political battles or whatever, you're fighting the wrong enemy because the enemy that is the prince of the world, not the world. And we, we need to be careful about um, who we're fighting because if we're fighting the wrong battle, we're not going to win the war. Yeah. Yeah, it's. I really liked the. Uh, there was a relationship between Tony and his and his friend, and uh, m- many of the scenes uh, where they interact is in uh, gym, and I really appreciated that relationship. Mm-hmm. So Tony's pretty much a jerk for the first half of the movie, at least in my mind. Mm-hmm. And I, I really, uh, he was he was representing a lot of what I don't like in people, and uh, at one point. He's uh, had this little exchange with Michael at the gym, and uh, yeah, mm-hmm. and, and Michael is uh, concerned about um, Tony's um, faith, his his focus. And as Tony's walking out, he says, "I'll see you in church." And Michael responds with one of the best quotes of the movie, mm-hmm. and uh, he says, "I'd like to see the church in you." Right. And it really, uh, it, that's one of the things that we have to do as a body of Christ is we have to help each other uh, stay focused on God. And, uh, it, you know, that that's not that easy to do when we've got so many other things uh, vying for our attention. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that, that actually, that scene was the, the basis for the, that session on being accountable to each other mm-hmm. um, because he... It's it's easy. Well, it's not easy. It's still difficult to be accountability partners when you're both in agreement to be accountable to each other. Yeah. But when you're trying to hold a Christian brother accountable when he hasn't asked for it, that's a lot more difficult. <laughs> it, it, it's it's uncomfortable to do too. Right. But it's important. It's important. We're actually told in Scripture in multiple places to to talk to or to intervene, even in prayer in. In, in all kinds of ways. I mean, it, it's it, it's actually part of our um, being brothers and sisters in Christ is being accountable for each other. And if we see a brother or sister that's stumbling in sin, we're supposed to step in. We're not supposed to just let it continue. And it, it, if you are the type of person like I am where you prefer to avoid confrontation, mm-hmm. uh, it's not easy. You know, there was another scene, though, uh, where uh, Clara held uh, uh, Liz accountable uh, with a very memorable quote uh, where Clara asked Liz uh, how often she goes to church. Mm-hmm. 
And Liz says occasionally. And Claire <laughs> is that responds. Because, is that because your pastor preaches occasionally? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I love that one. Oh, it's the third two or third Sunday of the month. Uh, pastor's not preaching today. Yeah, yeah that's, they, that's difficult. They had a lot of good quotes in this one. Yeah, there's a lot of great co- quotes in this movie. I. And, and the, you know, the weird thing about it is, is that they're great to us because we're Christians and, and it's like, we could take the punches and go, Ooh, yeah, that hurt. Yeah. 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 And then Ooh, we, I see, I see me in that one. I see the, and, and, and we can walk out of it feeling, um, challenged where somebody who is not a Christian, it would, none of that would even make sense to them. They wouldn't even see the humor in the com in the statements as well as the, um, I don't know the accountability uh, to us as as believers because they're not believers, so it doesn't make any sense to them. Yeah, it's going to affect how they uh, how they view the movie overall. Right. And you know what? Maybe we should talk about that a little bit later. Yeah, yeah. Um, just some scenes that really stood out to me. Uh, one of them we were just discussing it actually was the lukewarm coffee scene. Uh, I love that one. Um, this this is actually the first scene I think that has real impact in the movie, and it's it's where um, Clara brings Liz a a cup of lukewarm or room temperature coffee because she's asking her, you know, about her faith and about her, you know, why she is a Christian. Does she believe in God? And and Liz's responses are very, you know, lukewarm. You know, like I believe God, like most people do, and. I go to church occasionally and the lukewarm coffee is actually scriptural. That is a, that yep. is something that, that, uh, that was brought up in scripture, you know, that if, if you drink something or Christ will, or God will spew you out of his mouth mm-hmm. if you're lukewarm. And th- that's in revelation, I think, but yeah, it's, it's a biblical analogy and it works so well in this movie to see her take a drink of that coffee, totally expecting a nice hot cup of coffee, and it was not drinkable. Yeah. She goes, uh, Miss Clara, or do you normally take your coffee room temperature? And uh, Clara responds, no, baby, mine's hot. <laughs> that was a great scene. And yeah. Uh, it's it's interesting in that coffee is actually good hot or cold. That is if you're a coffee drinker. I personally don't <laughs> like coffee, so it, it's not good to me in any way. But it's one of those beverages that people drink really hot and they drink it cold. But, but you don't drink it lukewarm. Exactly. Room temperature, it tastes terrible. <laughs> so I think it, it makes a, a perfect analogy. You know, tea would work the same way. You drink it hot, you drink it cold over ice, but you don't drink at room temperature so it works mm-hmm. in a lot of ways um the other memorable scene w- was and actually this one created some discussion among some friends of mine on facebook um right after the movie came out was the chasing the devil out of the house scene uh, um I, yeah. that there are some the, pe- the sign. there are some people that christians that have real big problems with that and I thought it was that. Uh, well, I thought it worked okay. I think it was a dramatic thing in which you had a a, mm-hmm. a a young woman who is not an accomplished Christian. She's very young in her faith. She's immature, and she is make putting physical action to something that really needs to happen internally, and where where you flee from the devil and temptation, and you um, 
you you take a stand to cast him away from you. But sure. in in the context of the movie, it almost looks like she's praying to the devil, and that was the way. Um, oh. A lot of people were taking it as that you don't pray to the devil. For one thing, the devil's not omniscient, so he can't be in your house all the time. To be honest, he's probably not never in your house. There might be demons that tempt you, but there's a lot more important things for the devil to be doing, and, and he's not omniscient like God, so he can't be everywhere at the same time. So praying to, to the devil makes no sense. I'm not saying I had a problem. I did not have a problem with that scene in the movie, but there are some people who do. <laughs> and so... I guess when when you look at it that way, mm-hmm. uh, I can I can definitely see a problem, but I mean it, Jesus talked directly to Satan on mm-hmm. uh, a couple of times, right? Including uh, uh, yelling, he was yelling at Peter to to get thee behind me, Satan. Right, right. And uh, and I don't think I, that was prayer. And it's the, in this movie, in this context, I don't think it was prayer. It was just brought up as a question on Facebook for discussion. You know, yeah. what do you think about her praying to the devil? And I'm like, well, first uh-huh. of all, check to see in the movie whether you actually think she's praying to the devil, because I don't think she is. And the other instance is that um, in this situation, like I said, she's not exemplifying the model behavior of a, of a mature Christian. Mm-hmm. So she she is, for one thing, adding drama and context to the movie because you it wouldn't have been, made any sense to anybody to watch her sitting in her prayer closet on her knees praying silently to be rid of the devil, you know, (laughs) really, really wouldn't have uh, carried any drama. That's right. Right. So it was a dramatic uh, moment that was put in to, I guess, give action to something that was happening to her internally in casting the devil out of her home. Uh, I I personally liked that scene because it, uh, it helped make the, uh, the sense of resisting Satan real for her as mm-hmm. a character right and uh it, another good line was that uh it, at the end of of that uh rant against satan she says uh this house is under new management mm-hmm. and it reminds me of uh the line in joshua as for me and my house we, we will, will serve, serve the lord, lord. Mm-hmm. i think it works in the movie and i didn't have a problem with it and i defended it in that discussion because i don't I don't think that there was anything doctrinally wrong with what she did in that scene. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't believe that you can just put your foot down and say, devil, you're not welcome here. And he's going to stay out. Um, that is a, a situation. I think that's a fight that we have to battle every day. And in it, the idea that you can cast him out of your home and never have to deal with his lies and temptation again, that's lying to yourself as well, because you're always going to have to be sensitive to when, the his lies are being whispered into your heart and do you think that there was the implication there that she expected him to never come back i don't know i just you know the whole point about this house is under new management you're not welcome here anymore you know i don't know i i i think that it, that she was feeling like she could just cast him out of her home and mm. and that is that is dangerous because you cannot cast him away you always have to be sensitive to when he is whispering lies to you. Um, yep. it, that would that could take you off guard if you think you can just put your foot down and say, you're not welcome here anymore, so go away. It could take you off your guard. We always have to be on guard against Satan's lies. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, uh, it's not something that you can just 
turn off by saying, oh, God, okay, God, you've got my heart now. I am no longer going to be tempted. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Now, I don't want to beat that one to death because we have a lot to talk about. The other scene, which I actually did not care for as much, was the knife scene where the, the mugging at the, the in the car park. <laughs> I actually haven't. It's the only one in my notes where I said uh scene didn't really fit. No, no. And, and, you know, the weird thing is, is that I was thinking the whole thing. Yeah, she's going to pray and he's going to put the knife down and everything's going to be okay. It's like that doesn't happen in real life. It just doesn't. So. It it didn't really – it seems like it didn't really uh, serve a purpose. Uh, uh, it, it didn't serve the story that they were telling. It didn't uh, serve to, to buttress up the overall point or anything like that. It just provided uh, a little bit of interaction between Claire, Liz, and the mugger and then Claire and the uh, uh, policeman. Uh, but it, it seemed uh, – It was forced. Excessed, it, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that the movie and the only other thing it really opened up was that that situation where she calls her husband and he doesn't seem to really care that she was in a mugging, you know. But other than that, I don't really see that it added anything to the movie. And if anything, it just felt forced. And I I don't know. It was not my favorite scene. So yeah, (laughs) we're not going to just completely uh, sing the praises of the movie here. It, it, that actually brings uh, to mind uh, something else that it, for most of the movie I was thinking, why are they doing this? And that was the whole thing with uh, with Elizabeth's smelly feet. Mm, yeah. I think it and, was just so that they could have him wash her feet at the end. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and you know what? That was that – was, that completed it for me because, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know – Three quarters of the way through the movie, he he actually refuses to give her a foot massage, even though she's been on her feet all day, mm-hmm. uh, working extra to cover uh, the gap. The, because the gap, right? Uh, exactly the financial gap. And yeah. he says, "Liz, I am not rubbing your feet." Mm-hmm. And uh, at the end of the movie, uh, uh, the quote: "There's this quote." Uh, uh, I'm eating my favorite dessert while my husband is rubbing my feet. There has got to be a God in heaven. <laughs> I like the way he came prepared to hold his nose. Oh, while yeah. He did it. <laughs> yeah. He put and, thought into it. Yeah, he put thought into it. And it and it was his form of submission to her, which I think is that, you know, that completion of that beautiful picture of the way that relationship is supposed to work. She starts by yeah. being submissive to him. And then he finds a way to be submissive to her in a fulfilling way for her. And so that that brings that relationship full circle. Exactly. Uh, they're They're fulfilling the roles that they're meant to fulfill. Right. Now, we do have to talk, I think, just briefly about the redemption of Tony, uh, a very big part of the movie. And the lead into that that I think was one of my favorite scenes was where Clara has Elizabeth come in and t- tells her to write down everything that her husband does wrong. And at first, Elizabeth is like, I don't you know, that's I'm going to be here for a while because it's a lot of stuff, you know. And she said, you know, well, just get started. And she leaves her for a couple hours, you know, taking notes and writing all this stuff down, listing it all. And then when she comes back, Claire comes back in the room, Elizabeth office. Oh, I'm not going to read that. Um, I, that's not what I had you write it down for. And then she asks her, um, can you forgive him? 
And, and then they make this comment. He talking about God, he gives us grace and he helps us to give it to others. Even when they don't deserve it, we all deserve judgment. And that is what a holy God gives us when we don't repent and believe in his son. So Miss Clara has this perspective of it doesn't matter all of the bad things that we've done because we've all done bad things and we all deserve judgment. What we don't deserve is grace. And that's what we get through Christ. And so if we don't deserve grace and we get it, Christ gives us grace, then that means that we have to give that grace to everybody else because nobody is as bad as we are. So in scripture, the one of the best verses is Romans three twenty three through 26, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God presented him as a propitiation through faith in his blood to demonstrate his righteousness because in his restraint, God passed over the sins previously committed. God presented him to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that he would be righteous and declare righteous the one who has faith in Jesus. So this is this is what is being demonstrated through Tony's redemption in this movie. Because, you know, to be honest, I don't even think he was a Christian before. I would have to agree with that. He was a um, church attendee. Mm-hmm. Right. And that only occasionally and only when it fit in his schedule. And exactly, you know, and 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 like his friend had said, he, he'd like to see the church in you. He he was not as soon as he left that pew, it was, you know, behind him and he didn't think about it. And there's a lot of Christians that are that way. I mean, they attend church on Sunday and that makes them feel good about themselves. And unless their pastor preaches something that makes them a little uncomfortable, at which point <laughs> they're very quick to forget it as soon as they walk out intentionally if they don't tune it out sitting in the pew right you know be watching the uh, the scores on the on games <laughs> or whatever on their phone or whatever yeah it's it's a problem and to be honest i think that the only way that we can deal with that as christians you know that the fake brothers and sisters that we live among is to just pray for them yeah and i I really appreciate the type of prayer that Elizabeth was praying. Oh, the one yes. that, that she had tacked on her wall that he saw that all of that all of his deceptions would would be revealed. I mean, that's a tough prayer to pray. Yeah. I mean, it it gets him fired from his job. Well, it it hang on a second. It doesn't get him fired from his job. His sin gets him fired from it, his job. Mhm. Um, right. Not the fact that it's revealed, but he deserved he deserved it. Yeah. And he recognizes through her, the way she reacts to him, he comes to terms with the fact that it was his deception. And he had already seen that where she, he had seen her prayer closet and he had seen that note. And so I think it really became obvious to him that it was his deception. It was his sin that was causing all of his problems. Yep. And he couldn't blame it on anybody else but himself. Out of curiosity, uh, when you were watching the movie for the first time, did you catch that he was uh, shorting the prescriptions or shorting the samples? I didn't catch that he was doing it until they said he was doing it. Okay. Um, and or I don't they, know that when they first started investigating it. Right. I don't know that um, that he um, that they, the movie actually shows us that he was doing that. Well, there's there's a scene in the very beginning where he's dropping off a box of samples. Mm-hmm. Doesn't he take one of the sample um, I don't vials? Know. I thought I've he only did. seen the movie once, so okay. maybe our listeners can 
can uh, ch- chip in on that and um, tell us whether or not it was foretold, foreshadowed before it was revealed. I don't know. Yeah. Well, we're actually going to need to move on to the biggest discussion here. And I know it's the, the thing you most wanted to talk about. Yep. Um, what's very interesting is, you know, just before we started recording, I went to uh, Rotten Tomatoes, which is a very common movie review site, if you're not familiar with it. The tomato meter was at 37%, which is a, yes, which is a splat. I mean, it's like a thrown Rotten Tomato. They consider it a terrible movie. The audience score was 90%. Yep. So there is a massive discrepancy between the critics, what the critics think of War Room and what the audience thought of War Room. And that started day one. But the very interesting thing, in fact, is that we are recording this. We saw the movie, what, a month and a half ago? Yeah, September 8th, right? September 8th. So it's almost, yeah, a month and a half ago. We saw that movie a month and a half ago. It is still in theaters here, still in the main theaters here at my, in my city. Very popular movie. Yes. Yep. There, I've never known a Christian movie to stay in theaters that long. It's Yeah, it's... Uh when we were first discussing seeing this movie, it was uh, that was one of the things that I wanted. I said, you know, at the very beginning, I wanted to discuss was uh, how the fact that this is a blatantly uh, Christian movie uh, appears mm-hmm. to have an effect on uh, on the reviews. Oh yeah, definitely. And uh, I actually uh, i I sat down and did an analysis of the reviews. I have a spreadsheet with. Uh, <laughs> With a, so a graph in front of me, and, <laughs> and you know, I'm all ready to dive into the analysis. And I was actually surprised by my results because I expected mm-hmm. to find, um, distribution-wise, I expected to find a, a significant number of very low scores, and then a uh, moderate number of very high scores, and not much in the middle. Right. Because I felt that that would reflect uh, the personal views of the reviewers, the the people seeing it who have no interest in uh, spirituality or uh, uh, Christ, Christianity at all, would, uh, you know, say the movie's bad. Right. And people who have the spirit would go in and say the movie was good. Right. But I was surprised when uh, I got the results and the actual scores, uh, when you normalize the scores across all the different review uh, styles, you know, one out of five stars, uh, a letter grade, what have you. Right. It's actually fairly well distributed. Mm -hmm. But the... Uh, the difference really stands out in the language that they use in their reviews. Um, there were a couple quotes uh, right on. Uh, oh, yeah, this one for right on uh, Rotten Tomatoes. Um, Brad Wheeler from uh, Globe and Mail, which I've never heard of. <laughs> Obviously an important critic. Yeah. Uh, he's listed as one of the top critics, but I, I've never heard of him. Of course, that's not saying much. Yeah. 
But uh, his quote is, an affluent African-American family is going through some domestic issues. Husband loses job. Daughter is being ignored. Mother has foot odor situation. The usual. The answer, submit to a resurrected carpenter. (laughs) He's just wearing his disbelief on his sleeve right there. And he gave it zero out of four. Right. So his uh, his was among the worst scores. Uh, The guy from the National Post, Callum Marsh, says, uh, this is no mere entertainment. It's an instructional video. (laughs) Uh, And he gave it 0.5 out of four stars. And it it goes up from there. But I was really surprised. Yeah. Roger Moore of Movie Nation said it's badly acted, poorly written, a hackneyed sermon that barely preaches to the choir. You know, I didn't understand that last part. Barely preaches to the choir. What? Some of the other people were saying it. It was too preachy. Right. So how does it barely preach to the choir? Well, obviously he wasn't a member of the choir. So how yeah. did he know? So. <laughs> oh, you're killing me. <laughs> well, I mean that this is a difficult thing because it's interesting that. The non-Christian reviewers obviously don't get the film. I understand that. I understand that they're going to watch it and it's going to go over their head. It's going to go past them. They don't understand it. It, They don't understand where it's coming from. They don't understand the audience that would enjoy it. And Mm -hmm. so they give it bad reviews. And I find it interesting that those of us in a Christian context can turn around and hit. And I mean, that's kind of what we do in this podcast is we talk about the secular entertainment. Yeah. And we can at least be kind about our criticism and i mean i think there's a little bit more honesty in saying obviously this movie was not for me instead of ripping it over the coals because you don't like the message yeah actually uh there was one reviewer uh jim lane from the sacramento news and review Mm -hmm. um rotten tomatoes had his quote as uh the converted will respond to the movie's sunny, squeaky clean look, courtesy of uh, cinematographer Bob M. Scott, and the free and the fervent sincerity of the performances. Let others be warned: the sermonizing is nonstop, beginning with the very first lines of dialogue, and continuing without help through the move uh, without let up through the movie's several endings. Mm. Um, and. It, I felt he gave it two out of five and uh, he seemed to be the most self-aware of his personal bias. Right. Right. And and that's what it is. It's like you, you have to be. I, and granted, I there are movies that we simply won't review on this podcast because they're so bad that we don't we can't find anything good to say about them. We don't even yeah. want to see them. Um, but. At the same time, if you put yourself out as a critic and you're going to talk about a movie that you didn't like, you need to be fair about it, about the reasons why you don't like it. If it's a movie of faith and you don't have any faith, then you can say up front, this movie was not for me. I was not the intended audience. So therefore, I am going to have a biased review. And I I don't think that uh, today's society finds the entertainment value in fairness. No, that's true. They they want the Simon Cowles and Howard Stearns of the world who uh, just embrace being absolutely horrid. Mm-hmm. That's true. And rude. Now, I, you know, I can I can be fair and say that 
Christian movies typically don't hit the level of production and acting and other things that um, the Hollywood movies that have all that money behind them can do. Absolutely. Um, And I think most Christian audiences, when they go to see a movie like this, we lower our expectations so that we won't be disappointed. Um, and, And we can come out of it praising the movie for what we enjoyed without being hypercritical about what was bad. Um, and we've already said in this in this review that there were scenes that we didn't particularly care for in the movie. And, mm-hmm. and I wouldn't say that the acting in this movie was Emmy nominating, you know, material. But right. um, the movie had very strong impact. It had a very good message to the me- audience the message was pointed at. And I don't think the Kendrick brothers made this movie to be evangelistic. I don't think they made it to be an outreach to non-believers. A non-believer, a non-believer coming in to see the movie is going to leave scratching their head because the themes that are in this movie is about how to um, live the the prayer life that we are called as Christians to live. And if you're not a Christian, you don't understand what that means. Did you have anything else that you wanted to talk about other than? Uh, it's. It- Really briefly, I wanted to uh, to say that I thought the addition of the two little girls um, was it uh, Diana, the daughter, mm-hmm. the and, yeah, the the friendship there, yeah, oh yeah, and we Jennifer, didn't even, the friend. We didn't even talk about the parenting, did we? <laughs> yeah, uh, I think I think they did that, uh, showing the impact very well. Mm-hmm. Um, like uh, there's one scene where the daughter. Uh, innocently challenges her mother by saying what's the name of my team mm-hmm. and a jump rope team and uh and the mother can't uh mother can't name it right and for comic relief there was the uh, poor jennifer the best friend she just gets in the most awkward situations uh it, you know it, there's this one scene where uh liz is talking to the daughter and she says and don't tell anyone and Jennifer <laughs> sticks her head in. Yep, she heard the whole thing. Yeah, it's. I I thought that was very well done. And it, in Tony's redemption, mm-hmm. uh, there is a scene where he seeks his, the forgiveness of his daughter, and I think uh, that's important because our kids have to know right. that we are just as flawed mm-hmm. as they are, and that we make mistakes. And uh, that we need forgiveness as well, mm-hmm. um, because you know it, it's part of being a, a stranger in a strange land. Right, right. Yeah, I uh, I think that that was definitely an important part of the movie. Um, that you know, with all their marital problems that they were having, the fights and everything, the daughter was almost always in the middle. Yeah, I I do think that 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 touchy feely fluffy thing with the, the, the jump rope thing at the end where he goes in and they jump and they get second place and, and all of that. I I felt like they were maybe trying just a tad bit hard in there. I, I do appreciate that they didn't win, that they got second place. Uh, Uh, wasn't that one of the scenes that had, uh, one of the Kendrick brothers in it? Wasn't he the announcer? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that that one was uh, that one was one where it, it didn't really play into the movie that well, uh, but it had enough of a feel good vibe for me to to 
for me to forgive it. Yeah. And I think they, they needed something for him to connect with her. Um, and, and they've done that a lot in the, in the movies. In fact, um, in courageous, there was a situation between the, the lead father and his son, and they had to find something they could do together, which turned out to be jogging so that they do make a point in these movies of, you know, parenting, parents establishing relationships with their kids that mm-hmm. that involve something they can do together and i think that that is important if if you're a parent i'm not a parent so i'm i mean my cats are about it and they're pretty easy to please but um kids are another matter so <laughs> it's important and i think it's also important I, I was just thinking about this it's important to have the right perspective when you get involved with your kids with something that you're not pushing to experience through them vicariously something you can't do yourself or pushing them to be more than they are comfortable being especially when it comes to sports i see that all the time um with with sports parents you know pushing their kids to to be more professional or take it further or whatever when they yeah. just want to have fun, you know? Yeah. They're, they're in it for the wrong reasons. Right. Right. And sometimes the parents reasons for being in it are completely different from the kids. So it's important. I think, and, and I think this movie strikes a nice balance there that they're competing, but I don't think it's, it's that, that high end competition that would be unhealthy. So they're just having fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's it, it like I said, it had enough of a feel good vibe. Uh it, I I couldn't help but to smile during it. You know, and that gave him the 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 basis for his new job too. So it did it had multiple tie-ins. Yeah. Um so it it wasn't a, like a complete out of the blue oh why did they stick this in the movie? It it wrapped things up. So I just don't I I think it was one of those things that people were holding against the movie was that everything came out right in the end. You know, he got a job, maybe not the job he had, but he got a job and and they won they didn't win the competition but they came in second place. Yeah. It's like um the other thing that kind of bugged me from that standpoint was that they kept this big massive house. She's a real estate agent. The very first thing I would have done if my husband lost his success put the house on the market. Put the house on the market. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I agree. It's I, I kept expecting that to have, you know, expecting them to come to the conclusion that they didn't need that big house. <laughs> yeah. Three people and it, it looked from the outside, it looked like it had six bedrooms. Yeah. And a big, massive garage. And they only ended up having what, one car at the end. Uh-huh. But, you know, I think and I think that that is an issue with this kind of a movie is that it does kind of show this this idea of God will take care of you in a successful way um, that you can keep the um, I guess the the appearance of wealth and comfort. And I don't I don't know that that standard is realistic or even should be put forward in that way. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right there. Yeah. it does sort of hold up a an unrealistic uh, ideal and uh, not necessarily scriptural. You know, I'm just trying to think of some of the critical things I've heard about the movie. And, you know, everything comes out okay in the end. They don't lose anything. They don't. Um, he still has a job. And, and a lot of times in, in the real world, you know, everything doesn't come out right in the end. And that doesn't mean that we blame God. And I think that's where we, why I wanted to bring it up is that we don't measure the amount of grace that God has given us or our standing with him based on the 
the the things of the world, the house and the car and the job and all of that stuff. Um, you can be unemployed for years and be just, you know, short of homeless and still be living for the Lord and be right with the Lord. That's not how you gauge how well you're living your Christian life. Imagine how different the movie would have been if uh, the end of the movie was not him uh, finding a new job and doing the whole jump rope thing, but the family struggling with court dates and probation and house arrest mm. uh, it, and still maintaining and still made- a proper faith. Right, right. Having a proper faith-filled perspective, yeah. even through the consequences of wrongdoing. Um, yeah, it would have def- been definitely, I think, a more real movie. And there's nothing wrong with the way the movie ended. I'm not dissing the movie in any way. It felt good. You walked out being inspired. Um, the fact that it ended not with that story, but with Clara um, calling everybody to prayer over the the battles in our lives that that was the emphasis of the movie not how that family came out in the end and i think that that is the important thing the important takeaway and what most people walked out of the theater being inspired by was that call to prayer and that's what we need to do as christians do our battling on our knees well, uh, we appreciate everybody listening through this review. Uh, do want to uh, hear what everybody else felt thought of the film. Uh, best place to do that would be commenting on the show notes, which will be at areyoujustwatching.com slash 52. You can also comment on Facebook um, where we post our, our review. And um, you can call us at 903-231-2221 to leave us a voicemail. You can also email feedback at areyoujustwatching.com. Audio files are welcome. And if we can start pulling in some of this feedback, as we've said before, we'd love to do a feedback episode. But so far, we haven't gotten any. So that It would be nice to do. Yes, it would very be nice to do. And, of course, do check us out on our Patreon page and consider giving um, to keep this podcast on the air we want to continue doing this but we cannot keep doing this unless we have some support so we really would appreciate that sacrificial dollar or five dollars or ten dollars or whatever you feel comfortable giving um we would be so appreciative so uh, i think that covers it all Um, it does thank you so much for listening i'm eve franklin i'm tim martin don't just watch are you just watching as a proud member of the noodle mix network at noodle.mx our opening vocal talent was thanks to mariah the theme song is used courtesy of answers in genesis for more great podcasts like this one visit the noodle mix network at noodle.mx that's noodle.mx noodle.mx